Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. All right, so Romans, or excuse me, Romans, I'm still thinking of this morning, Revelation chapter 18, the dirge for the fall of Babylon. If you will remember, in chapter 17, we've already been told that this great prostitute who is uh, this great city, Babylon, uh, was going to fall. We saw in the seventh, uh, in the seventh bowl judgment, I believe it was, the prediction of this fall. And now in chapter 18, we actually have a microcosmic look at the fall of Babylon. So it really kind of reminds me of the literary aspect of it, just like Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1, we have a macrocosmic cosmic look at the creation of the world, the universe, as God created in those six days. He gives us kind of a big picture view of what he does. And then he takes his uh, microscope, if you will, and he narrows the focus in on the creation of humanity in particular in chapter two. And so that's kind of what's happening in Revelation chapter 17, chapter 18. Chapter 17, we have the broad picture of judgment, the wrath of God. And again, we're coming at it from a recapitulation aspect where we're being told from uh, God the same story through John uh, in in a repeating uh, sense. In all these visions, they're really telling us the same story just from different perspectives. And so we we see the same thing here. It's just a little bit of a, a different view, a different angle of this fall of Great Babylon. And I think in order for us to understand properly what's going on with this fall, to connect all the dots, we've we made this uh, connection before, I think, and made this com- these comments before. Babylon, this prostitute, this city, if you will, ultimately represents the the world system, the the spirit of this age under the influence and control of the great serpent, the dragon, Satan himself. Hence, the kings of the earth are the ones doing business with her, are committing sexual immorality with her. She is the lure for all these powers of the world to come in to enjoy economic success and and luxury and pleasure, right? And that's the lure of the power of Babylon the Great. And so those who want to do want to do business and want to succeed in this system, uh, there are certain requirements upon them that that Great Babylon, Babylon the Great, uh, requires of them. Now for John and those who would have received this in the first century, on their minds, first and foremost, would have been the Roman Empire, because it's talking about this one world-type government system, if you will, uh, this, this singular control of society and, this, uh, and the demands that are placed on people in light of that. And, but John, or the Lord, chooses to use Babylon the Great 
to depict this world power in uh, John's writing. And there's no coincidence or accident for that because if you go back in history, you will find a very similar nation state who had complete dominating control over the, the world in its time. Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and then you can go down the the line of history and see some of those empires that had a worldwide uh, dominance and so that's really the underlying picture you remember Revelation is a picture book not a puzzle book that's the underlying picture is there is this consummate never-ending control of human society by the spirit of this age that is ever increasing and trying to consistently gain control of the hearts and minds of as many human beings as possible. And so that's really the idea behind what we're seeing when we see this Babylon the Great, this world system, the spirit of this age that is that has dominance in a, in a humanistic secular society as we see it today. And right now, we have several superpowers, but not necessarily one world government. But if you're just watching the news, you'll see with the uh, all the the conferences that go on, uh, the world you know c comes together at these conferences, and they talk as world leaders on working together in the things that, that need to happen on a global scale uh, for us to be able to continue to, to thrive and have a good economy and, and all of those kinds of things all over the world. So uh, we, we, see, we still see those kind of elements uh, around today, and I think they're just ramping up, and we are still moving toward that, toward this end-time uh, picture of a one-world control government and that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't still have a, a, a United States or you won't have a, a, a China or a Russia or a, a Europe or, or you know or an England you still may have those nation or nation states and they will have this connection where they uh, work together under a one world kind of a global economic uh, concept. And I think that's the way they're going to gain control over us in the latter days. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the end. And so that relates to this idea of what we understand about, you know, the mark of the beast. You know, we talked about that when we dealt with the, the, the beast that were coming up out of the sea and out of the earth and the mark of the number of his name. We talked about some of the aspects of that. And again, you know, there's some crazy things, you know, hey, barcodes, uh, you know, implants, all those kinds of things. But the real picture that Revelation is painting for us is the same thing that was going on in the first century. When in the first century, the Roman church in particular, the latter parts of the first century, you know, from the time of Revelation into Domitian, Nero and Domitian, those eras, the first century, uh, Christians were part, if they wanted to have, if they wanted to be a tradesman, uh, a Christian had to be a part of a trade guild. If they wanted to be a tradesman and being part of that trade guild was meant that you, uh, you had to bow to the moral construct of that trade guild and you had to participate because the trade guild trade guild it's interesting uh collegia is uh, the 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 word that is used for those uh trade guilds almost like 
college, but someone described those trade guilds as uh, fraternities. They were more like social orders, not as much like unions as we understand today, but they were more like social orders. And so you had to participate in that fraternity if you wanted to be a part of that particular trade because they could close you out. You could not be able to, to gain any business if you were in that trade and you didn't participate in their guild. And one of the things that had to happen for you to participate, and it ramped up during Domitian's time, uh, one of the things that had to happen is you would have to, as a Christian, you, you got you to gotta say, uh, Caesar's Lord, right? You got to say Caesar's Lord and you got to offer the way they tried to compromise for Christians. And I say it's a compromise on on the pagan world's part. The way they tried to compromise for Christians is say, hey, just offer just a little pinch of incense. You know, you got to go full in just a little pinch of incense uh, saying that Caesar is Lord. And hey, you're good to go. You you settled your your spiritual debt with the state for the year and you you can go on about your business. Well, for the Christian you see the problem with that for the christian you can't do that there's only one lord and that's christ right christos is is curios right not caesar christ is lord and so christians refused to do that and so that shut them out of the trade guilds that shut them out socially and economically in their societies and that's why a lot of them had very difficult times making ends meet and a lot of them gave their lives just because they refused to bow the knee to caesar and offer that that, that the pinch of incense so that is the idea of bowing to the spirit of the age and capitulating to the world view of this uh of, of this uh, spirit of the age in our day you know secular humanism uh socialism communism all those things are part of that spirit of uh the age and we are constantly being being is constantly being demanded upon us to bow to the spirit of the age in order for us to be able to continue to communicate or, or function. And we'll talk more about what that might look like in the end. But that's the idea behind all of this when it relates to Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great is that great system that, that, spirit of the, that the spirit of the age uses to lure men and women into and for them to bow to this spirit of the age in all in the name of security and peace and ep- economic security and and peace in their life and how many times we hear that right the political uh, system is the economy stupid right so how many times have people voted just to hey we'll put the we'll put the we'll we'll put a a, a raving lunatic in office just as long as we can keep the economy good right so you, we got to think about all those things and it's all part of this great spirit of the age is trying to allure us in all right so let's go through through this text right quick all right the first section is uh really verses one through eight and they they this these are the are, are it's the dirge for the fall of babylon and you got uh two sections uh of this uh, one through eight verses one through uh three and then four through eight one through three uh, or yeah, one through three in in uh, Revelation eighteen is the fall of Babylon described uh, in, in a in a roundabout way, and we'll see a greater aspect of that, or at least the last section, if you remember, that was really a song uh, about the fall of Babylon, and then uh, verses four through eight are called uh, to the people of God uh, to to come out uh, from among this city, from among these. Uh, this this pagan ideology and worldview. 
So we begin again in verse 1. As uh, After this I saw, and that's just a literary way that John uses in Revelation to indicate a new uh, aspect of the vision or either a new vision, and we'll see this in a couple different places in this chapter as well. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the angel was made bright, or the earth was made bright with his glory. Now, there are some who have even said that that may have been uh, Christ who came down, but John calls it an angel. Uh, so I don't see any reason why not view it as an angel, a messenger of God. We've just come through uh, several chapters that deal with angels who are doing things and telling John things in, um, in these visions. So it's a mighty angel probably an angel that was in close proximity to the throne room of God. And he has this great authority that's been given to him by God. And so he comes down from the throne room of God. And so here's what he says. And, and he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And don't miss this. You ought to circle or highlight the word is in that passage, because from this, from God's perspective in this text, it's a done deal. Babylon is fallen in this moment right now it is fallen again it speaks to the idea of god's sovereignty on his throne he sees the end from the beginning right uh, for him it is a done deal he babylon is fallen and that would ought to bring encouragement to the the, the first century church there right the church is there and in first century christians that god sees babylon as fallen god is victorious Babylon the Great is fallen. Uh, she has become, and again, it's, it's, it's something in God's mind that's already happened. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And you can't help but think about a couple passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah 21.9 is one. And behold, uh, here come riders horsemen in in pairs and he answered fallen fallen is babylon and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground and so in isaiah's day you know israel was taken into captivity in babylon and uh, Isaiah is a prophet in Israel. And so Isaiah is proclaiming this uh, destruction or fall of Babylon again in Revelation is a symbolic name, not just for Babylon of the Old Testament, but of Babylon, this world system, okay, which has manifested itself in different ways throughout the centuries and will continue to do so until the very end of time when Christ comes again. Isaiah 13, <coughs> excuse me, verse 19 says, and Babylon, uh, verse 19 through 21, and Babylon, the, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor of pomp of the Chaldeans. And again, if you look at just, just the description, you can see the similarities uh, in, in the description of Babylon the Great there in, in Revelation in, in just a moment. And we saw it uh, with uh, the prostitute and the dragon earlier. Uh, so he goes on to say, it, this Babylon will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrows it. 
Uh, and again, we see the fall and the destruction of it uh, in chapter 18, as we just read. And it will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. A little later on, we're going to see that great refrain. Hey, there, there's not going to be any musicians in, hurting you anymore. There's not going to be any craftsmen in you anymore. There's not going to be any merchants in you anymore. Uh, so nothing will inhabit or live. Uh, no human being will inhabit or live for all generations. Uh, no Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will make their flocks lie down there, but wild animals will lie down there. And so you, you go on and you see uh, the picture there, how it correlates real nicely with what we read about in about Babylon and the fall of Babylon in Revelation 2. And that, that has to be uh, a backdrop for this vision that John is receiving from this angel. And then verse 3 says, for all nations, and again, don't miss that. That's, that's another word, phrase that I highlighted, all nations. And, and for some reason, we think that the, the nation of America is exempt. But let me give you a heads up if you hadn't noticed as a Christian. If you just watch the news, you can see how the leadership of this nation and at least 50% of this nation has bowed their knee to the spirit of the age. And they are demanding the rest of us bow, their, bow our knee to the spirit of the age. And so it is all nations, right, have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth, again, all the political leaders, rulers in this world, the kings of the earth have committed immorality where there are now, when it talks about immorality, obviously this is a figurative um, language in this idea. And if you think about it from an Old Testament context, the Lord always talked about Israel uh, in their immorality. And their immorality was that they went after foreign gods. It went after, it was idolatry. That was really underlying that uh, symbolic use of the term immorality when it related to the nation of Israel. So the same idea is going on in this passage that is talking about these these nations, these kings, they have bowed down to this paganistic idol worship, if you will, of the spirit of this age. And again, if you don't think idolatry is a real thing, all you got to do is look out at this world. Right now, we're going through what I think is the epitome of idolatry, and that is idolatry of self, uh, where we think we are God, and, and God is either doesn't exist, or if he did, he's just really bad at what he does, and he makes a lot of mistakes, and that's what's going on in our culture today. So either we try to make a God in our own image, or we just reject God altogether as a, as a people, as a society, and so idolatry is a very real thing in our world uh, today. And so he goes on, it says... Uh, and the merchants, so you've got the people, the nations, you've got the kings, the political leaders, and then you've got the commerce, the companies, the merchants. All of them have committed spiritual immorality uh, with this woman, Babylon the Great. Um, it says, all the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And so uh, they've accepted, they've accepted the tenets of the spirit of this age in order to uh, profit and benefit and satisfy their pleasures, right? Now, I get it. 
all of us to some degree are involved in the commerce of the spirit of the age, right? Because we have to buy and sell and live uh, and eat and manage our households, right? But there's coming a day, and we'll talk more about it this at the end. There's coming a day when it's going to be more and more difficult for those who are followers of Christ, those who are believers, Christians, to be able to continue to enjoy the normal natural benefits of a prospering prospering economy and we'll talk about how that may happen uh, in the at the end of this okay and so <clears throat> here's a couple things that you and I need to remember that God's going to call his people to come out in just a moment in other words don't bow your knee to the spirit of this age uh, don't that does not necessarily mean you can't you don't you don't live and interact in this society, but you don't cave in to the spirit of this age just so uh, you can satisfy the pleasures of your life and uh, even benefit and profit uh, economically. Uh, you, you bow the knee to Christ, and then you stand firm on your decision to bow the knee to Christ, whatever the consequences may be. I get it. Living in the 21st century in central Alabama, that's easy preaching and hard living, uh, right? Uh, it's easy preaching right now. One day it's going to be hard living, but it's easy preaching right now. It's easy for me to say that right now when I don't have any real threat of that happening to me in this moment. But it's going to be, and it is a real threat for people all around this world right now, and we've talked about that before. There are brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world right now that this is a present reality for them. Uh, and for you and I, we are in the oasis of this place called America, which is quickly collapsing around us if we don't stand firm on our Judeo-Christian values upon which this nation was standed, stand, uh, founded. So a uh, couple things. Uh, Revelation um, 2, 9 through 10 is a warning about just that, that if, if you refuse to bow, then these are things that could happen to you and this persecution may come to you. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say to, uh, that they are Jews and are not, but are of, the are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Uh, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I give you the crown of life. And so for the first century Christian, that was a present reality. They were enduring persecution because they refused to bow to this spirit of the age. They, they refused to capitulate to the requirements of Babylon the Great in order to get along in society. They stood firm on their faith in Christ, and for some of them, it cost them their life and their livelihood. And again, that's happening today in places around this world. Revelation 13, 16 through 17. Also, it caused causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehand. Ultimately, that's this, this beast so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name uh, of the beast or the number of his name. And so again, I'm just driving home this point that what we're talking about with Babylon the Great and what, how it correlates with this idea of the mark of the beast and though not being able to buy and sell is not as much about, uh, you know, the, the crazy things we've talked about sometimes in history, but it's about us not bowing to, not capitulating to the spirit of the age. Now, how can they use 
means today to control us, to compel us, to conform. And there are tools that they may be able to use that are present right now and in the future. Again, not necessarily an implant in your arm. An implant in your arm could be a tool that is used for control, but it's ultimately whether you are really willing to bow or not to the spirit of the age and the consequences that come from both bowing and not not bowing. And we'll talk more about this at the end. All right, so that leads us to the call of the people of God. And he says in verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, meaning come out of Babylon the great, my people. So this is God saying, hey, come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And again, I, I think this is an idea, you know, you have in your back of your mind, when I read that, at least in the back of my mind, is the whole idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right, well, the Lord went down, uh, and two angels went over to Sodom and Gomorrah and brought Lot and his family out, save his wife who looked back. Right, and so you ha- you have to have that in mind when you read that passage when it talks about coming out of that wicked place. But the other reality is that you and I we can't always escape the wickedness that's around us because guess what. There is wickedness all around us. There are some places that the wickedness is less um, uh, manifested less than it is in other places. And so we might have room for escape in that way. But again, I think the ultimate premise of this is not to bow down, to be in the world, but not of the world. Listen to Jeremiah 51, 44 through 45. And I will punish Baal in Babylon and take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. The nation shall no longer follow, uh, flow to him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. And so again, there's this idea of, of some sense of security and safety from the wrath of God. And we've talked about this before. You know, Revelation we all worry about it with the tribulation period, right? In in this supposed seven years of literal tribulation, hell on earth, if you will, and the church not being here, God's going to snatch us out of there. But there are other places that we've already read in Revelation where, just like the 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 woman in the dragon, where the dragon was trying to snatch up the woman's child, and uh, the woman has carried to safety in in the wilderness and is kept safe there and when you think about places like exodus when israel was in goshen and the plagues came upon egypt and uh the plagues on egypt didn't necessarily touch the the egyptians in goshen save the the 10th plague which was a a plague that pointed to the redemptive work of jesus christ so dealt with the firstborn and people having uh again we can make a message on that about being secondborn but uh, that plague had to do with redemptive history and them being obedient to god and and, uh, applying the blood, if you will, of the lamb there. But that's the only plague that impacted impacted them. The others didn't. God protected them in the midst of uh, the judgment he was pouring out on Egypt. And you can't help but think about Noah and uh, and the ark. And because what happened? Well, eight people went into the ark. God shut the door and God 
saved them in the midst of his judgment because the ark uh, was on the water that was used to judge the world. So in some sense, God is talking about saving his people in the midst of this judgment that has come, not his people not enduring or suffering the wrath that he's going to pour out on uh, this world. And there is places of safety uh, to go or carrying out, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll know more about that when it happens, I guess. Uh, listen to what Mount says. Mount says the persecuted church has always faced the temptation to compromise with worldliness and thus ease the tension of living in a hostile environment. And again, his idea is that's what this is talking about, uh, living in this hostile environment. Separation is the order of the day, sometimes physical, always ideological. And again, I think that is... That is the reality for most believers right there because you, we have to understand there are people around this world, even today, like we already said, they don't have the economic means to leave the situation that they're in. And so their escape is ideological. They always separate themselves ideologically. But that will sep that sep that hey, that saves us from the wrath of God, but it doesn't save us from persecution and tribulation. And nowhere in the Bible uh, do we learn that Christians will be safe from persecution and tribulation. As a matter of fact, we've said it a number of times already in Revelation. When John wrote this, he began the book by saying, you're, I'm your partner in persecution and tribulation and the endurance of the saints. So, Persecution tribulation tribulation is a present reality uh, for many believers, and God is calling us to be in this world but not of the world. Don't bow our knee to the spirit of the age. Verse five: For he for her sins are heaped high as heaven. And then this is the phrase because there's a, there's a lot of people in this world who think that. One, either God doesn't exist, like we've already said, or God is, is unaware of what's going on in this world because of the debauchery that continues to reign uh, in the world in which we live. But listen to this phrase. Verse 5, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. It's not that God doesn't know about the iniquity that's going on in this world. It's not that God is not aware of the sinfulness going on in this world or the sinfulness that's in your life or my life. God is very aware of it. God chooses in his time and in his way when he's going to bring judgment on sin. And so in the case of great Babylon, Babylon the Great, he has remembered her iniquity in this chapter and he is bringing judgment on her. And we saw this already uh, revelation chapter 16 i think it was we saw uh, this idea of god's bringing pouring out his judgment on babylon the great and now in chapter 18 uh, we're seeing the fulfillment of that and what that looks like and he goes on to say in verse 6 pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived luxuriously so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. In other words, I'm in charge. I'm large and in charge. I am no widow. In other words, I will not die. I will live forever. And mourning I shall never see. Kind of reminds us of old Nebuchadnezzar out there on the rooftop, right? Look at what all I have done. How great am I? 
right? Then God put him in his place. Well, God's putting this world system in its place in Revelation chapter uh, 18. Verse 24, we're going to see that she has in her, you know, we saw already she was drunk with the blood of the, the, the saints. Uh, verse 24 in a little bit says, she has shed the blood of the prophets and the saints. Give her the full complement of God's wrath. Verse 24 didn't say that, but that's the implication of this passage. Because of what she has done, give her the full uh, complement of God's wrath. And you remember, uh, there's another passage, I forget this earlier in Revelation, could have been last chapter, chapter 4, it talks about drinking all the way to the dregs in the cup of God's wrath. There's not going to be anything left. God is pouring out his unmitigated wrath on great Babylon, this world system. Then verse eight, for this reason, for this reason, her uh, plague will come in a single day. And again, the idea behind that is immediately, quickly, astonishingly fast. Okay. And that's why we see in just a moment when we read all of these dirges from these different groups of people that they are amazed at how quickly the demise of this great city came. And we look into the world today, we see all the superpowers and all the money, you know, and all the power and all the prestige. And you think, how in the world could they fall? Well, God is reminding us that they could fall in an instant because God is in control. God raises up nations and God puts them, puts them down. And so her her plagues came in a single day, death and mourning and famine. All the things that she said wouldn't happen to her has happened to her by the hand of God. And she will be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord who has judged her. And don't forget that this is God's judgment. God will judge the wickedness that's in this world. God will judge this world system. God will judge Satan and the beast and the prophet. God will judge and rectify all that the curse brought on this earth, the curse of sin brought on this earth. God will judge. And here's the reality. There are people today who are going to die this evening, who are going to die tomorrow, who are going to die this week, who are going to go and stand before this same God who judges wickedness. And when they stand before him because they refuse to bow their knee to God in this life, they will face the wrath of God just like great Babylon the Great here is facing the wrath of God. So that behooves us as followers of Christ because we know what's going to happen. We know the final destiny of those who refuse to bow the knee to Christ. It behooves us to share the reason for the hope that lies within us. It, it, it behooves us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. If we believe any of this is real, then we ought to be championing this message every day of our life because there are people dying every single day. And so we move to the next section, uh, really verses 9 through 20. Uh, and that, that there are really three different dirges, if you will, from kings and merchants and sea, uh, the, the merchants on the earth and then the merchants in the sea. All of them are impacted. And you can see the, the kind of the, the 
picture that's being painted of all of those people who have been impacted and bowed their knee to this great Babylon. Those who, would, who have political power, they have bowed their knee to this world system, to the spirit of this age. Those who are have the companies, right? The, who, who, who build things and create things and sell things and keep the economy running. They have bowed their knee to the spirit of the age. Those who bring those goods to us from international waters. This is not just a one nation idea. This is a global a global surrender to the spirit of the age that, that the Bible is picturing for us in Revelation chapter 18. And every one of them are so intrinsically linked to great Babylon that they are astonished and in mourning when judgment comes to this spirit of the age and this world of system that they have so linked themselves to. And so we, we get into these dirges, verses 9 through 10, the dirge of the kings. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived luxurious with her, again, the political powers of the world, they weep and they wail. Well, it's that great, you know, anguishing over the loss of a loved one, if you will, a funeral dirge. It says, over her when she when they see the smoke of her burning. But listen, they don't go to her rescue. What do they do? In all of these cases, the same terminology, they stand far off and they fear uh, in the fear of her torment. They see the judgment that's coming upon her and they are astonished and afraid of what's happening uh, to her. And then they sing this dirge, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour, and that's gone from a day to an hour, right? So you see the symbology of time in Revelation. A while ago, we had a day, now it's an hour. It's not about the literal nature of a day or an hour. It's about the inst the eminence the, the of it, the, the quickness of it, uh, how it is quickly overtaken great Babylon. And listen how they describe Babylon. You great city, you mighty city. And the implication is how in the world could this happen to great Babylon so quickly? None of us expected this to happen to great Babylon so quickly. So, uh, your judgment has come. And so, here's what Mount says about these kings of the earth. These kings of the earth represent the bankruptcy of an arrogant existence which believed that it was secure because it was living in a perverted political order. Now, their fortunes have changed <laughs> because Babylon the Great has fallen, right? And they stand there weeping. Isn't that what's going on in our world today? That, that's the number one thing people are, we're so worried about, right? It is peace and comfort. It, you just leave me alone. As long as the economy is good and long as I feel safe, then you do whatever you want to do. The, the world can go to the hell in the handbasket as long as I have enough money to make myself happy and take care of my family, and I feel secure where I'm living. You, you do whatever you want to do, right? Isn't that what the, what the world is really saying to us? Except for Christians. We can't do whatever we want to do or say whatever we want to do, right? But the rest of the world can. But even Christians, isn't that how a lot of Christians feel? Hey, why, don't worry about all this other stuff, man. Just, let, just go, do whatever, right? Just leave me alone. 
make sure the economy's good. Make sure I feel secure. Leave me alone. You go about your way. I'll go about my way. Well, God's called us to do more than that as believers. He's called us to impact the world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we are to be about. Now, these kings of the earth, they mourn because of the loss, these political leaders. Now we turn to the merchants, the companies, right? And again, we're seeing that in our society today. It's not just the political leaders who've bowed into, uh, bowed down to the spirit of the sage. It's, it's companies and businessmen who are bowing down to uh, the spirit of this age. And at times, the political the governments and the companies are in cahoots with one another right and so you have the makings of what what people are saying that uh, conservatives are doing and that's uh, we're fascist right well fascism is going on right now uh, even with democrats in control of places right because companies and governments are coming together uh and and functioning as one entity if you will or at least uh, functioning in unison and we'll, we'll talk more about that as we get to the end of this thing again all right, the dirge of the merchants. And the merchants of the earth wept and mourned, same amount of grief and, and mourning for her since. Why? No one buys the, her, their cargo anymore. She's, her economy has collapsed. She's under judgment. They have no means to sell their goods and their wares. And then there's a big list of things that are, are sold there, and it just depicts all the attributes of life and how everything that could touch our life that's sold and bought and sold there and we won't go through that whole list but i thought about this last phrase in that list right after horses and chariots at the end of verse 13 and it says and slaves now the esv chooses to render it that is or in other words these slaves are human souls uh, some some translations may render it differently whereas you have slaves and then you have what the SV renders human souls and some people make a distinction in that the slaves were those who were more like people who would be still sold I guess but would have been working in in houses and and in in the fields and those kinds of things like that whereas these human souls may have been uh, as Mounts puts it this like an old Hebraism or a Hebraism that relates to it is that they're like human livestock in other words they were sent into uh, the arenas for battle to to face animals or face gladiators or what it is they, they had no no value to anyone other than the entertainment value they brought from being slaughtered in those arenas now I don't, I don't know which is the case in that the ESV seems to think, or who the translators of the ESV seem to think these slaves and these human souls are one and the same, uh, and that's how they translate it. But e either way, whether it's just slaves in general or you you uh, make that distinction between the two categories we talked about a moment ago, it still shows the disdain for human life that permeates the spirit of this age. And don't think that's not a present reality today. And one of the greatest slave trading aspects going on today are those that are being traded into sexual slavery. 
and uh, Yaku Buyans. If you don't know that name, you ought to get familiar with that name. You ought to go Google him and find him. He works very heavily with uh, sex trafficking. Um, not that he does it. He works against it to eradicate it, to help rescue people from it and make people aware of the danger of it and what's going on in our society. But it's a very real and present danger in our world today, not to mention other aspects of slavery that still go on around the world today. All right. And, you know, if you want to think about the other aspects of human life that we degrade and denigrate, just think about, you know, abortion and the 60 million babies a year that are slaughtered uh, out 99.9% out of preference. Anyway, another topic for another day, but we see inherent, that's why I think James White is the first place I've saw this, Dr. James White, the Alpha and Omega Ministry is the first place I've saw, I saw this, this uh, uh, phrase used, the culture of death. That's, that's what the spirit of this age is all about. It is the culture of death. And again, another topic for another day. But you see that pictured in this language about the cargo that was on, that was on these ships. Verse 14, uh, the fruit for which your soul longed, this, these things that they listed, even to the slaves, was the fruit that the souls of the people longed for. It was the things that satisfied their deepest desire and longing. And that's why they bowed their knee to the spirit of the sage, to satisfy the deepest desire and longing in their heart. It has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendor are lost never to be found again. You remember what the what Babylon the Great says? Hey, I'm not a widow. I'm never going to die. I'm not going to mourn. Well, never again is anything, any of these goods going to be found in you ever again. The merchants uh, uh, of these wares who gained wealth from her, who, listen, they will stand far off again. They're going to stand away in fear of her torment and what are they going to be doing? They're going to be doing the same thing the kings were doing, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, here's their dirge. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen. And this is a description of that uh, harlot we saw riding the beast, right? In purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. So again, it's a picture of this one world system. It's a picture of the spirit of this age that is alluring the powers that be, the, 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 the kings, uh, the merchants, uh, the sea merchants and the nations, the peoples, and luring them to bow the knee to the spirit of the age. Just a, here's some uh, trivia for you if you if you're interested in, um, you know, you think Mar America we're really bad, uh, bad shape economically. If you think about the amount of debt that we're in, you know, trillions and trillions uh, now, and and again we we get all in an uproar when. Uh, Somebody says, hey, uh, we probably shouldn't keep raising the debt ceiling so we can keep borrowing money that we can't pay for. But anyway, uh, that's beside the point. Listen to what Mount says about the extravagance. It'll give you some idea that, hey, all leaders and politicians uh, uh, throughout the centuries have been very similar when it comes to spending money. Mount says this, uh, he says, the, here's the level of extravagance it took on. And he, and he gives uh, Nero uh, as one example. Just on one banquet, one banquet, Nero spent a hundred, what would be a hundred thousand American dollars uh, in his day on Egyptian roses, just for one banquet. And then uh, 
I guess, Vitalusus, V-I-T-E-L-L-I-U-S. He reigned for less than one year. And in that one year, and we listed a bunch of delicacies that he loved to eat, okay? All kinds of crazy things he loved to eat. In less than one year, he spent over $20 million just mostly on food. $20 million mostly on food. That's the amount of extravagance that went on in the political leadership of the Roman Empire. And, hey, if you look at America or many other countries, you can see a great level of extravagance that is being squandered in in this world. So humanity has not changed much from uh, the first century, right? And so we're going to the, the, the third uh, dirge, the final dirge, and that is the semen. For verse 17, for the single for in a single hour, again, in an instant, all this wealth has been laid waste. None of this wealth and none of this power means anything anymore. Could God brings it down, right? All and all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, guess what they did? They stood far off and they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? You see the astonishment and the amazement. How is it can this be? How can this great city go down so quickly? Verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned. And here's their dirge. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste man you're talking about the power and sovereignty of an almighty god can you imagine to a first century christian who is receiving this revelation from john from jesus through john and they were reading this and they had in their mind the context in which they lived the roman empire and they saw the vastness of the roman empire their political power their military power their economic power and they read this because in their mind, there's nothing greater than Rome. And Rome has its thumb on them. And that pressure is ever increasing on the church in the first century. And then they read this, that God is going to bring down this great Babylon. Symbolic to them of Rome, most assuredly. God is going to bring down this Roman Empire. God is going to bring down this spirit of the age. No matter what it looks like right now, you need to understand in an instant, God is going to bring them down. And God is going to vindicate you. And everything that they have done to you is going to be done to them as God pours out his judgment upon them. What an encouragement to believers to persevere to the end, knowing that they have a God who is victorious. And that leads to the ver- to verse 20. And it changes the whole, the whole mood changes here. This is, this is a call for rejoicing over the destruction of Babylon. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. The heavenly host, rejoice over her, i.e. that God has brought judgment upon her. And rejoice over her, you saints and apostles and prophets. Now we know 
that is inclusion of all saints, all apostles, all prophets. Some people try to limit that to just the heavenly uh, uh, saints and apostles and prophets who had already gone on to be with the Lord. But I think he's talking to the saints that are on the earth. And there was at least one apostle on the earth when he wrote this. Uh, wrote this. Now, I know in the end time, there's, there's not an office of apostleship. And I don't believe there's an office of prophet in the end time. Uh, we have pastors, elders, bishops. In that way, deacons and uh, those who teach, we have those offices in in the church, but we have saints all the way, right, to the end of history. And the Lord is saying, rejoice over her that God has finally vindicated you. And you can't help but have in your mind uh, the, the, the martyrs on the altar in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You remember they cried out from under the, the, under the altar and said, how long will it be before you vindicate us, God? And he says, hey, when the fullness of your brothers and sisters are martyred, uh, then I will vindicate you. And you can't help but think that all of these judgments are an answer to a to that prayer and we've kind of made that uh, connection throughout revelation as we've seen uh, an angel grab um grab fire from the altar of incense which had the uh, was mingled with with the prayers of the saints and went up before god and he took that fire from that altar and he slung it on the earth and the judgments of god began to be un uh, unfolded or poured out on the wicked of the world and so you got to think that that's an answer to that prayer at least in your mind it is if you're reading through uh revelation and then uh i, I went back to revelation 12 10 through 12 and i think we see again a, a hint of this same idea listen listen to what it says and that's why this recapitulation thing is important i think that we see throughout revelation we're seeing the same story unfold uh from different angles throughout revelation listen to what we read in revelation 12 10 through 12 and i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and power and the kingdom of of our god and the authority of his christ have come for the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our god and though and they uh, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death verse 12 therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them and then it goes on to that and goes on from there to remind us that hey while this is a picture of what's coming uh we still live in the here and now in the present before that that happens listen to what bill says the focus on this is he about this rejoicing and this delight he says the focus is not on the delight in Babylon's suffering, but on the successful outcome of God's execution of judgment, which demonstrates the integrity of Christians' faith and God's just character. And I agree with that mostly. I think in some sense it is a rejoicing of those heavenly beings, those saints, those apostles, and those prophets on God judging the wicked of this world. And again, I, I get it. Love your enemies. But I think in that day, uh, there will not be a tear shed for those who have rebelled against our Lord and our God. And we will rejoice in God's just judgment over those who refuse to bow the knee uh, to God. But in the same sense, the rejoicing is... Uh, 
more so for the fact that God is victorious, that he is sovereign, that he is on his throne. And then that leads to, I guess, the summation you can call the, the actual uh, description of the fall of Babylon once again. And listen to what uh, the angel says. It says, then a mighty angel look, uh, a mighty angel looked up, took up, I can't read, mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so shall Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And that's that's a refrain that we see in this last, last uh, paragraph. They're going to be found no more, great Babylon. The sound of the, of the harpist, the musician or flute players or trumpeters will be heard no more in you. And a craftsman of any kind, any craft will be found no more in you. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine no more, uh, shine in you no more. And the voice of the bride and the bridegroom will be heard in you no more. Now, what did the great Babylon say earlier? I'm not a widow. I'm a queen. I'm not going to mourn. I'm not going to die. I'm eternal. Nothing's ever going to happen to me. I'm on top of the world. Well, God says differently. You're going to fall, and you're going to fall hard, so much so that you will never be seen again. And we say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah to that. And then it finishes out with all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Don't miss that, please. Okay? I get it. I love this country. Bleed red, white, and blue, right? Uh, I, I love the freedom that we have. We are, we have experienced a kind of freedom that no Christian community has ever experienced in the history of the world in our short 240 some odd years that we have been in existence as a nation, but do not be deceived. The spirit of the age is alive and well in this great nation. Um, a, a lot of the leadership of this great nation has bowed its knee to the spirit of the age and been deceived by its sorcery. And we're seeing that on full display today. And it is our responsibility to push back hard against that because we have the freedom to do it. There are believers around the world that are facing more tyranny and more manifestation of the spirit of the age than we are at this moment. They don't have the freedom to push back. When they push back, they die. You and I can push back and we must push back in this moment in which we live in this great nation. And he goes on to say in verse 24, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints. They martyred, right? persecuted, killed Christians and all who have been slain on the earth. They have a bloodlust, the culture of death and God is going to bring judgment on them. Listen to Beale and then I want to close with a, a couple issues related to how it is that this world system might be able to in a very near future. Again, you, you, guys, you guys know I say Revelation is not a puzzle book. It's not meant for us necessarily to sit down with a new paper and try to figure out where we are on the timeline of Revelation. Okay, Revelation is a, is a it's not a puzzle book. Rather, it's a picture book. It's God showing us the picture of His victory. 
his sovereignty, his control, his redemptive history that's being unfolded in this world. It's meant to encourage us that he is on his throne and this is what he's leading the world to, to his victory over the evil that's in this world. But there are other places in the scripture where it talks about us understanding the signs of the time to be sensitive to the things that are going on in the world around us and be aware of how it is the spirit of the age can manipulate and and try to draw us in and lure us in and gain control uh, over us as believers and cause us to bow to the spirit of the age listen to what bill says and then then we'll get into some of that babylon's economic system persecuted christians our Christian communities by ostracizing people from the various trade guilds. If they did not conform to worship of the patron deities of the guild, resulting in loss of economic standing and poverty, Christian craftsmen were removed from the marketplace and the common pleasures of life enjoyed in normal economic times were taken away from them. In answer, this is what it's all about. In answer to that, God will remove Babylon's loyal tradesmen forever. You see, the world is against Christ, and the world is against Christ's people. In the world, the spirit of this age is going to do everything it can to destroy us and to wreak havoc in our lives and cause us to experience pain and misery and suffering. But what's God going to do? God, even if we do endure some of the persecution and tribulation that the spirit of this age brings, God is going to judge them eternally for it. And God is going to rectify and vindicate. He's going to rectify the evils in this world. and He's going to vindicate his children for the evil that was perpetrated against them and vindicate them for their for their faith now you know i was thinking about how is it if we just if we do take a minute and look at what's happening in our society today how is it that we could be lured into or manipulated into bowing to the spirit of the age in the in the under the fear of losing our economic ability uh, to survive in this world. And there are two things, at least, that are, or three things that are really happening that I think will ultimately converge one day. And again, it's not anything new to me. It's just things that I've heard and read and listened to uh, over the last year or so. And so many other people have have seen these threads long before I did, but I think they're legitimate for us to be looking at. And it's coming down the road, okay? I believe that these three things will converge at some point in the near future and begin to apply the pressure on those who are believers, okay, in Christ. So one, if you don't know this term, you need to know it. It's called CSR, it's an acronym, rather. If you don't know this acronym, you need to know it, CSR. CSR, and these are things that have been around for a while. They're just starting to come to the forefront because the timing, I think, is is right for them to become a real relevant part of the economic history uh, as we know it today. CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, or some people say it's the social impact of a corporation. Now, this is a definition that came from a real 
entity, all right, it is from the U, from the UK. It is called the Giving Machine, and you can find that link, that website. Go Google it. Find the Giving Machine, and on their website, this is what they say CSR refers to. It refers to the efforts made by a company to improve social and contribute and contribute, excuse me, towards sustainable development. So you can already under, hear the underlying language of, of global warming climate change in there, right? Also known as corporate conscience or corporate citizenship, CSR describes uh, initiatives run by a business to evaluate and take responsibility for their impact on a number of issues ranging from human rights to the environment. So already you see how CSR can impact a company can compel a company, how people can use this concept and this language to compel a company, say like Anheuser-Busch, to give a endorsement to a dude who's pretending to be a woman, right? So that they can impact human rights, in particular trans rights because this dude who's pretending to be a woman is considered to be part of the transgender movement right and so you can see how this CR CSR is a way that companies may feel some pressure from certain entities in order to conform to the spirit of the age. And then obviously the environmental side, the climate change, the whatever, you know, I, they finally come up with a term I think they're going to stick with, climate change. It took them a while, right? Because it was it was global cooling for a while in the 70s, right? We're all going to freeze to death. Uh, then it became global warming. We're all going to burn to death. And now, because neither of those happened, uh, and the world, the, the, the solar ice caps didn't melt completely, and the sea didn't rise six feet, or whatever it was Al Gore said they were going to rise, by the time he said they were going to rise, they had to get a, a different term, you know, climate change. Okay, that can incorporate whatever's happening in the climate. That's another, I want to get off on that rant. But you can see how these things can impact these country, these companies to do certain things and act certain ways and impact the culture of that company. So here's what they go on to say the purpose of CSR is. The purpose of CSR, remember, corporate social responsibility, is to encourage businesses to conduct their companies in an ethical manner. The question is, who decides the ethics, right? Right now, what are the ethics in our country? The ethics in our country, the at least the leadership of our country, not all, but the ones that are in control for the most part, in our country, the, the ethics are, hey, we gotta, we got to protect the right for women to have, uh, you know, uh, reproductive health care, i.e., we need to be able to allow women to murder their babies whenever they want to, okay? And then uh, it's, hey, we got to protect the rights right now of transgenders. Just a few years ago is, hey, we've got to establish rights for uh, homosexual marriage. So you see what I'm talking about? Who defines what these ethics are? 
for the secular humanist, it is a it is a worldview with an ethical system that is constantly changing because it is based on the societal norms and mores. Whatever the majority of society thinks is right, that's what we do. Well, guess what? When that changes ten years from now, the whole ethical system is going to change. Then what do you do? What do you do then? You have to shift with that change. Whereas from the book biblical worldview, the Christian worldview, there's an absolute standard for ethics, and that standard of ethics is God Himself, and it never changes, and it's binding on all humanity, no matter their culture, no matter the time in which they're born or, or the place in which they live. But you can see how this is to um, encourage, right? That's the word now, encourage. But before long, it's going to be pressure. And then it's going to be demand companies in an ethic, uh, to run their companies in an ethic manner, ethical manner and work toward having a more positive impact on society through ensuring sustainable growth. Again, the, the climate change aspect of it. Uh, now, here's something that is I, I pulled off um, the web. I think this came from Wikipedia, so you can take it for what it's worth. Um, but it was describing this idea of CSR again. It says, it began as a self-regulating effort. But it says, <coughs> here's what they say in there. While once it was possible to describe CSR as an internal organizational policy or a corporate of a cor- corporate ethics strategy, Time has passed uh, as various various companies have pledged to go beyond that. In other words, to go beyond the idea of it being an internal thing. And they've they've either been mandated or incentivized by governments to comply. We're seeing some of that, I think, in our society, mandating at least, and if not being incentivized to comply to the spirit of this age and the social norms and mores of our culture in this moment. That's CSR. Here's the second acronym you need to understand if you uh, do not understand or haven't heard this acronym. It's ESG. ESG, Environmental Social Governance environmental social government so you already see how these two can relate just by the names right in the description of csr and environmental it's everything you think it is environmental deals with how a company works and functions in light of global warming activists are you doing all you can to go green right to reduce your carbon footprint to the to uh, mitigate climate change are you are you running your company in that way uh social aspect of it again it has the same thing same thing uh, the same idea of the social aspect of csr is are you running your company in a way to maximize the rights of your employees, your suppliers, your customers, and your communities as it relates to social issues, right? Are you on, in other words, it's a way of saying, are you on board with us in these social matters of the day? I.e., the alphabet mafia, are you on board with us? in making sure that we magnify uh, the rights of this particular group of people. And then the governance aspect of it, again, it's the idea of them 
governing themselves and being open and uh, transparent about what they pay, in particular their leaders, right? How many times you heard in, in the last 10 years about uh, those evil corporations and the, and the astronomical amount of monies that CEOs get versus the amount of money that other people uh, are paid in the, in the corporation, right? And the inequity that's involved in that. And so that's the kind of idea behind the governance side of it. And so here's what's happening in this uh, world. Let me give you this definition, then I'll tell you how, how all this ties together. Uh, Investopedia. There's a website called Investopedia. And it's talking about investment. Here's how they describe the role of ESG as it relates to investing. ESG investing refers to a set of standards for a company's behavior used by social uh, conscience investors to screen poten potential investments. In other words, if you want to invest, if we want to invest in this company or if this company wants to, if it's a bank and this company wants to borrow money from this bank, then we're going to look at your ESG score, your CSR score, if you will, and see if you are in line and you check all the boxes on all of these acronyms that you, that you, hey, you're taking care of the environment. You're lowering your, your carbon footprint. You're going green, right? You've bought into all of this nonsense of climate climate change are you on board with us socially dealing with the with the trans right the the alphabet mafia rights all of those aspects of society and whatever else comes down the pike are you on board with us socially and are you running your company that way anheuser bush disney are you bringing in this the uh, these these uh, marginalized people, right? Are you bringing them in and showing this uh, level of equity in our society to all these marginalized uh, people? And then are you paying people their fair share, right? They use the term from the liberals about taxes. Are you paying people their fair share? What's the What, what does it look like the diff distance between your CEOs and, and the common folks that work for you? Are you transparent in what you're doing with your money and your, and your firm in that way? And I get it, some of that we need we need transparency in, in that way they need to have an audit system or that kind of stuff but uh who is the government to come and tell somebody what they can make and what they can't make right i get it you know we, we've got the uh the uh whole idea of uh minimum minimum wage and that kind of stuff but anyway another subject for another day Here, here's how all this can tie together and again uh, going long, I know, but it's worth the listen. If you can stick with it, or at least come back and, and join it later. Here's what's going on. You ever heard of digital currency, right? We, we talked about crypto. We hadn't talked about it, but have you heard about cryptocurrency and that kind of stuff and all the different variations of it? Right now, nations around this world are working on, if they haven't already, come up with a digital, for from our perspective in America, it'd be a digital dollar, a digital euro, or digital yen, or whatever it is over in China, or rupee or whatever it is in Russia, right? And one of the ways, if that ever comes down the pike, and there ever comes a digital dollar in America, this is the way they're going to get you. Right now, it's corporations. Right now, it's, it's the big companies, and they're using that for investment and, and lending. But you can bet your bottom dollars coming down to the everyday common American citizen. 
already in Europe. This was astounding to me. I, I didn't know this. This was astounding. There, there was a lady who, uh, and in a sense, she was punked. Uh, she, she is the president of the European Central Bank, and somebody called her pretending to be uh, the Ukrainian, uh, the U, not Ukrainian, the president of Ukraine, and got into a conversation with her about uh, economics and related to you know Russia and Europe and and, and those types of things. Uh, her name is Christine Lagarde, L A G A R D E, uh, and again you can go find this on on uh, Rumble. I think is where this is. But here's a statement she made that blew my mind that I didn't I didn't know in Europe uh, in the euro or the euro. They now have it set where you cannot pay cash for anything over a thousand euros. If you spend over a thousand euros in cash, then you are subject to fine or imprisonment. Isn't that amazing? Because they want to track how you are spending your money. Then they she made a statement in this video about the dangers of you know, terrorism and funding terrorism. And they got to talking in this video about a digital Euro that they are really interested in creating where you will have, it won't do away with cash completely, but the preferred way is going to be through the digital currency. And even on that digital currency, she said that there would be limitations there would be some limited control in that if you spent more than 300 to 400 euros, and someone says that's about 500 bucks, 300 to 400 euros, that there would be tracking mechanisms of how you spent that. And her reasoning was because of terrorist groups using small uh, amounts of money on those disposable uh, credit cards are that you can fill you can fill and, and and get rid of and so they already have the framework for that kind of control with with the euro and here's the astonishing thing for you and i uh, you and me as american citizens don't think this is not something that is uh being tossed about and thought of right now in america here listen to this march 9th 2022 March 9th, 2022, I believe that's the date. You can go check me and see if it's 2022 or 2023. I got 2022 in my notes. This came from whitehouse.gov. Executive order on ensuring responsible development of digital assets. Now, I want to read to you a section from, a portion from section number two, letter C. Okay. You can go look this up on whitehouse.gov. The United States must ensure appropriate controls and accountability for current and future digital assets, asset systems, to promote high standards of transparency, privacy, and security. Sounds good so far, right? Including through regulatory, governance, and technological measures. So in other words, we're going to make regulations, we're going to have uh, auditing and transparent systems, and we're going to use technology to do it. That counter illicit activities and preserve or enhance the efficacy of our national security. 
tools. Don't miss the language. Already in this executive order, the language is, the mandate is, we need to frame this in such a way that we track the way people use this digital currency or their digital assets in order to determine if they're using it in an illicit way or if they're using it in a way that undermines our national security and we need to use these tools that are available to us to monitor how people spend this digital currency. That's, that's what that sentence means. It is in the national interest to take actions to mitigate these illicit finances and national security risk through regulations, oversight, law enforcement actions, or use of other United States government authorities. So in that one paragraph, they, the President of the United States laid the frown, framework in which he wanted those who are involved in formulating these ideas about digital currency for the United States and how we deal with it, that, hey, we need to make sure we have a way to track it. And we need to track it in particular for those people who we think are using it in an illicit way. And that's the question. How are they going to determine what is illicit and what is a national threat? And the only reason I bring that up is just Thursday, we talked about on Theology Thursday how the FBI had implanted people in the Catholic Church to spy out on Catholics who they said were a, were, were a risk to national security because of their ideology. And three out of the four things that they listed related to that ideology, I myself agree with, <laughs> right? Three out of the four which was, one of them was, if you, uh, to put it in my terms, you can go look up this document that was leaked from the FBI. As a matter of fact, go back to Thursday's podcast and listen to it. But one of them was that, hey, you, you believe that we need a closed border. You don't believe in illegal immigration. They didn't word it that way, but that's really what it meant, okay? Um that, that was one of them. If you say, hey, we need, to, we need to control our border and people need to come here legally and not illegally, guess what? You fall into the category that they said was a problem with certain Catholics, okay? And a couple others that, that were on there. I forget what the other two were, but you can go back and listen Thursday and see it. But three out of the four, there were things that if I read those three, or if they read those about me, or if they looked at my life, they would say, hey, you fit this category. You are one of these Catholics, and I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Protestant, right? So anyway, they're laying that framework. And, and here's here's really the, 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 the kicker. This is into introductory part, the section number one of this same um, executive order that the president gave about digital currency. Listen to what it says. We must take strong steps to reduce the risk that digital assets could pose to consumers, investors, and business uh, protections, financial stability, and financial system integrity, combating and preventing crime and illicit finance, national security, and get this, the ability to exercise human rights. What kind of rights do you think they're talking about? I'm thinking to tell you what they're talking about. Look, 
Look at the next, you can't see it, but listen to the next two phrases. Financial inclusion. In other words, again, the equity, the marginalized people, that they have this group of marginalized people that don't get a fair shake. We got to make sure we use our companies and our assets and our money, right, to bring about, guess what the next word is? Equity. Equity. You know what equity is? It's equal outcome is what they're looking for. Not equal opportunity. Equal outcome. And climate change and pollution. So you see how ESG is already in this executive order. CSR is already in this executive order. That is the framework that they're looking at this digital currency on. And if this ever comes down and we move from a, and it probably won't be all at one time. It'll be an incremental thing like all of this is. It's always incremental, right? It always leads to a bigger issue in the end. But we start out slow enough that people are not razzled by it, right? Like the frog in the kettle. It doesn't bother us too much. We get used to it and we move slowly into our own demise, right? If this comes to fruition, you can bet your bottom dollar that they will have, they may not call it ESG anymore. They may not call it CSR anymore, but they're going to have a way that they will track your digital currency, not just the big corporations, not just the investors, but your personal finance and my personal finance and they will see if you line up with their esg and their csr standards and if you don't they will either penalize you maybe they don't like what you're buying with your money you can't buy that anymore maybe they don't like what you said on social media then you have no money for this month i don't know but they're going to have a way to track it and that could be a way that they could force you offer a little pinch of incense and bow your knee just so you can get along and feel secure and safe and economically stable. And for the Christian, it'll be a hard thing to do. Hard thing to do. You and I need to be looking at the signs of the times and we need to be sharing our convictions and we need to be sharing with the world the only truth that will change the culture in which we live, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my food spiel for today. I went really, really long, I know. I don't even know how long I went. But hopefully it was encouraging to you. If it was, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody who had, you don't listen to this podcast. Share it with somebody, and let's, let's get the word out as we continue to try to advance the kingdom of God. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.